Now it was said in the island of Sandy that mermaids didn't always have fishes' tails. The old men believed that they did, but the old women said that they were foolish and that it wasn't a tail. It was a beautiful petticoat that they could tie over their feet, and it looked like a fish's tail, and they could use it in the sea to propel them like a tail. But when they wanted to, they could untie the strings that drew it up around their feet, and they could open it up, and there was a pair of milk-white feet that they could trip along the sand. Now, this story was... A story that's always I've been very fond of. It comes from the island of Sandy, where my father came from. And uh, it was the name of the first collection of folk tales that I published back in 1998. And it's called The Mermaid Bride. Now, Johnny Croy was the most handsome man in all of Sandy. And he was known for being brave as well. And all the girls fancied him. They all wanted him as their husband. But Johnny wasn't really interested in anybody. He just got along with his life, lived at a little croft called Volier, And he lived there with his mother. And he worked hard, but he kept himself to himself. Now, lots of the lasses there would have been very happy to have him as their, their husband, but no matter how much they tried to catch his eye, he just wasn't interested. Now one day, he went down to the shore below his house. Now most of Sandy is just, as the name suggests, made of sand. Long white beaches, miles and miles of beautiful white sand. But on this end down to the, the south-east of the island. It's more rocky, it's higher ground. And he was wandering along there, collecting driftwood for the fire, when he heard a sound, the most beautiful sound that he'd ever heard in his whole life. And he walked very carefully, very slowly along the beach, and the sound got louder and louder as he drew near. Now he hid behind a rock, and he peeped around the corner, and what should he see but a mermaid sitting on a rock, and she was combing her long golden hair with a beautiful golden comb. He could see that she didn't wear anything above the waist, but from the waist down she had a silvery-coloured petticoat, which was twisted at the end to shape like a tail, and it was lying on the shore next to her. And she sat there combing her hair, and as she did, she sang. She sang the most beautiful song, the most enchanting song that he'd ever heard in his life. And Johnny knew that there was no way he could have anyone for a wife but this mermaid. He couldn't see her properly. She was side on to him, but just the sight of her face was enough to set his heart fluttering. She was a rare beauty. Now, <clears throat> he didn't know what to do. How do you approach a mermaid? Well, he thought and he thought until eventually he had an idea. Then he got down on his belly 
and he crawled carefully among the rocks until he got between the mermaid and the sea. But then what? What should he do now? Well, he sneaked up very, very quietly towards her. She was sitting there combing her hair and singing, combing her hair and singing in the sunshine, not with a care in the world. She didn't notice him. Then he sneaked right up to her until he sprang up and he grabbed her. He turned her around and he kissed her on the lips. Well, the mermaid sat there in stunned silence just for a second. It was like she was in a daze. She didn't know what had hit her. And then she pushed Choney over and he fell among the rocks and then the tail of the petticoat had a life of its own, and it swept up and it smacked him on the side of the face, sent him reeling. And she pulled up the petticoat and she ran down to the sea and swam a short distance away. And then she stayed there bobbing up and down in the water, staring at him. Well, Johnny got up and, ah, repositioned his jaw a bit, yeah. Oh, that was some Belcher gave him. I mean, he was a strong man, and, you know, nobody had ever bettered him before in a, a struggle of strength. But, phew, hats off to the mermaid. He was impressed. She'd flattened him. She'd knocked him into the middle of next week. Yeah, he was impressed. And then he looked at the mermaid, and she stared back at him. And it was almost like fire, sparking from her eyes. She was so angry. She was furious. He had dared to kiss her, kiss her on the lips, without being asked. That was a great breach of protocol. There was no way she could stand that. But there was something else in her eyes, too. It was the first gleam of love. Because mermaids, they are usually on the lookout for a human husband. And that kiss, oh, that kiss, she remembered that. It burned on her lips. That kiss, that man's face, those eyes. Oh, she started to burn with desire for him. Now, Johnny stood there, absolutely dumbstruck, didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say. But then suddenly something caught his eye. Something glinted at his feet in front of him. And when he looked down, what should be lying there among the seaweed but the mermaid's golden comb? He bent down and picked it up. He held it aloft. The sun caught it, a gleam on the gold, and, and he said to her, Thank you. Thank you for leaving me this love token, my love. And when she saw that, her eyes grew wide and she went, My comb! Oh, please give me my comb back. Oh, alas, alas, I can't go back home, back to the land of the Finn folk, if I don't have my comb with me. I mean, they'll laugh at me. They'll call me the lass that lost her comb. Oh, please give it back. Please, please. I'll do anything you want. Just give me back my comb. Anything I want, he said. There's only one thing in the world that I want, my dear. 
What's that? she said. You, he said. I want you as my wife. I love you. My heart burns for you. My soul burns for you. When the mermaid looked at him and she said, I would give you my heart and I would give you my hand in marriage. But you have to come with me. Come beneath the waves with me and I will take you to the land of Finfolkheim. Oh, it's a beautiful place. You'll be a very important man there. And you'll live in a beautiful palace made of crystal and you'll never want for anything in your life again. I will make every day the happiest of your life if you come and live under the sea with me. No, he said, no, you must come and live on land with me. <laughs> You're not tricking me into going under the sea with you. You might be trying to drown me for all I know. I'm not, she says. You will have the power to breathe underwater. I can give you that. No, he said. Look, I have a fine pity hoose there. Fine wee fern. Volier, it's called. And it's a grand wee hoose, and I have plenty of gear. I have plenty of implements, plenty of furniture. I have coos. I have sheep. Oh, I've got everything you need. There's hens, there's ducks, there's geese. What more could you want? Come and live with me on land and be my wife, and I will love you. I will love you more than you've been loved in your life, more than you could ever imagine. No, she said. Come and live under the sea with me. Be an important rich man. Lack for nothing. I can't live on land with you. I can't stand your black rain and your white snow and your frost and the wind the whole time. Oh, and your smoky fires. It would dry me up like a fish hanging above it. No, come and live under the sea with me. Well, the two of them argued back and forth for what seemed like an age. But then the mermaids spotted some people in the distance. Mermaids have got very sharp eyesight. And she turned around and she swam away. Her golden hair flowed over the white snowy skin on her back. It was like sunbeams dancing on snow. And as she swam away, she sang a lament for her comb. Oh, alas, alas, for my beautiful comb. And then she sank under the waves. And Johnny didn't see her again. So he went home, taking the comb with him. And he locked it away in a safe place. And he went to bed that night. And he didn't sleep. Wasted time. He might as well have stayed up. He couldn't sleep. All he could think about was the mermaid. If he did manage to, from exhaustion, just, you know, pass out for a short time, he's just, he could see nothing but her eyes and hear nothing but her song. There was no way that he could sleep. And in the daytime, he wished it was night again. And he couldn't eat, and he went around the house like a man in a dream. And then at night he wished it was daytime again. Oh, there was nothing that could please him. The only thing in the world that could please him was that beautiful mermaid. 
Well, his mother saw that there was something far wrong with him, and she said, What's wrong with you, son? What's wrong? Nothing, he said. I'm fine. <laughs> no, you're not. I know you. What's wrong with you? Well, if you must know, I've, I've fallen in love. You're in love? Well, that's good news, said the old woman. That's great news. Who is she? I don't know her name. Oh, you don't know her name? Ah, but you'll, you'll have seen her around. Well, I bet she's seen you too, and I can tell you all the lasses around here, you know, they, they would give their, uh, they'd give their back teeth to have you as a husband, you know. You're a handsome man. Yeah, but it's not one of the lasses around here. What? It's not a lass for Bornis, is it? No. No, it's not a lass for Bornis. Oh, well, not so much. Well, who is it then? I, 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 it's a mermaid. I'd seen this mermaid sitting on the rocks and she was singing and oh, it was so beautiful. I just lost my heart and my head to her. There's just nobody in the world I want other than her. A sea lass, said his mother. You fell in love with a sea lass. All the women in the whole island that you could have fallen in love with, and it's a bloody sea lass. Oh, you gapus. You great gapus fool, you. Fancy falling for a sea lass. I spoke to her. She was wanting me to come and live where under the sea, but I wanted her to come here. But she dropped her comb, and I, I picked it up, and I, I've got it. Where do you have it? Well, it's just sitting next to bed. Hmm, that's no good enough. Ah, oh, boy, boy, boy. Oh, God's sake, what to do with you? Men, stupid. Ah, uh, well, I suppose you can't help it. Well, listen. If you really are set on having her as your bride, this is what you have to do. You must hide the comb. You must keep it safe somewhere, safe where she can't find it. As long as you have the comb, you have power over her. But if you ask me, my advice would be to go straight back down to the shore where he's seen her and throw that comb as far out into the sea as you can manage. But you're a man, and you'll go your own way, and you'll likely sink in the mire at the end of the road. <sighs> well, <clears throat> poor Johnny. That night he was in bed, and he was tossing and turning, and he couldn't sleep, and in his mind he could hear the sound of the song, the singing of the mermaid. Oh, it was beautiful, and so real, just like it was in the room with him. And then his eyes flickered open, and he still heard the sound of the song, the beautiful song of the mermaid. And he looked down at the end of the bed, and there she was, sitting on the end of the bed, and singing. <sighs>
the beautiful song of enchantment, the song that had reeled him in, that had stolen his heart. Well, she said, I've come to see you, and to make that offer again. Come and live with me under the sea, and I'll make you a great man. No, he said, live on land with me, live at Volier here, and, and I will love you every day. I will treat you like a queen. But I can treat you like a king with the riches we have under the sea. You don't have anything like that here. No, I can't leave the land. I can't go under the sea. You must come and stay here. Well, okay. I'll do a deal with you. Give me back my comb. And I promise I will marry you. I swear to you an oath, an oath so binding that there is no way I could break it. I will marry you, and I will live on land with you for seven years. But at the end of seven years, we have to go with everything that I own, everything that I have in the world, has to go back to the sea to visit my family. Would you do that? Yes, I will. He went down on his knees on the floor, and he swore on the moorstein that he would give her his word, that he would marry her, and she would live there for seven years, and then he would go with her and everything that she had under the sea. Well, finally the day came when they were to be wed, and, oh, there was never a more beautiful bride on the, all the broken islands of Orkney than that mermaid. Her golden hair was combed out and hang loose over her shoulders. It sparkled in the sun like spun gold. The dress she wore was white, but it was flecked with silver gold, an iridescence like a pearl. And around her neck she wore a string of pearls, and each pearl was as big as a cockle shell. When the minister stood up in front of them and started to preach the sermon, the mermaid stuffed the hair, her hair, into her ears. You see, the the mermaids and all those supernatural creatures, they don't like the word of God. Some say they're in league with the devil, but they certainly don't like the sound of preaching. And she stuffed her hair in her ears to drown out the voice of the minister. And then the ring was slipped on her finger, and they kissed. Now time passed, and she lived with them at Volier, and they were very, very happy. And every year a new bairn was born, seven bairns, the finest-looking bairns that had ever been seen on the island of Sandy. Now the youngest was just a baby, when the time was passing near to the time when they were meant to go back to the sea, back to visit her family. And to give them a bit of room, Johnny's mother had had a small cottage built near to theirs. And she lived there, and she used to, to nurse the, the babies. She would take them up there, and she would care for them. And the youngest one was there now in a cradle, being cared for by her granny. 
and the mermaid started to clean and started to pack things, getting ready for a journey. She'd come from the sea with some beautiful blue cattle, and they were all brushed and prepared and ready to go as well. A boat was prepared, and Choney, well, he thought plenty, but he said little. And soon the day came when they were due to go. The boat was ready, and some of the mermaid's family, some of the finfolk, came out of the sea to help with the moving. They went up to the house, and they took all, everything that belonged to the mermaid, and took it down to the boat. The cattle were rounded up as well, and Johnny and his six oldest bairns were sitting in the boat. The mermaid went down to join them. Now, the Finn men had gone up to the granny's house to fetch the youngest bairn. But they came down with a look of bemusement on their face. Where's the bairn? she said. Well, I don't know. We, we tried to lift up the cradle, but we couldn't budge it an inch. Even four of us, one on each corner, couldn't move it. It's only a very small baby, she says. I know, but that cradle phew, could weigh tons. We can't move it. And then a black look went over her face, and she went up to the hoose. Well, she pulled back the blankets, and she touched the bairn, and it was as if she was burnt. She screamed and leapt back, and the old woman laughed. Now, you see, people said that our old woman, she knew a thing or two. She was a spay wife. A witch. She knew magic. And that night, the night before, at midnight, she had built up her fire with peats, and she had taken a piece of, just a piece of eye of wire, metal wire, and she twisted it into the shape of a cross, and she heated it up over the fire. And then she pulled back the blankets and turned the bairn over, and she branded it on the backside with the mark of the cross. And the bairn screamed like a demon, but he was marked for life with a cross. And no mermaid or fin man could touch him, and there was no way he could ever travel down to their world when he was marked with a cross. The mermaid's beautiful face was flooded with tears, and she turned and walked slowly down to the boat, saying, Alas, alas, for my bonny wee boy, that he has to live and die on land like a mortal. And Granny, the tears ran down her face as well, but there was a laugh hanging about her lips. Finfolk pushed that boat out into the sea, and they sailed away. And Johnny Croy, his bairns, and his mermaid bride were never seen again on the island of Sandy. But that boy grew up to be a strong, handsome man, every bit as handsome and strong as his father, actually a lot more, because he had that mermaid blood in him. And after his granny died, he took up the sword for a living, 
They said that he went to the Holy Land in one of the Crusades and fought there. And he amassed a great wealth, a great treasure. And they say that he married a Jarl's daughter and lived very happily for the rest of his days. But as for Johnny and his mermaid bride and his brothers and sisters, this story has no more to say about them. <laughs>